Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And so this week we... Are making grilled cheese sandwiches. You went all chiastic structure. Man. I mean, I'm impressed. So place a wager on the odds of me doing like like nerdy education chiastic like you like never like you would not make that wager i would not make that wager not with you that's what i mean even i shy away from like talking about things like chiastic structures because like that's that's yeah that's a poetry kind of thing that, that yeah. they do in scripture and it's a t- in, in the ancient world way in which they um, would, would, would put together a, a literary text was through what we call this chiastic structure, which is kind of like the sandwich. Right. So <laughs> I did not intend when I sat down to go, oh, let's write a sermon this week. Um, chiastic structures and chiasms were not uh, on my mind. But when I started, you know, digging through and studying, the commentary kept talking about the chiastic structure, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, two different commentaries. I'm like, you know, there must be something to this chiastic thing. I kind of remember that from seminary. Um, kind of remember. I'll, I'll, so, in, so in all honesty, I remembered the chiastic structure, the idea of it. I did not, I was not good at you know, pulling a piece of scripture and going, hey, there's that's, a chiastic that's, structure. There's a chiastic structure right there in front of me. How to um, identify? Okay, so you know what's interesting? Believe it or not, Christian scriptures are not the only ones that use chiastic structures. Correct. It was. It's a very common practice. Yeah, you will yes. find it in the Quran as well. Yes. Um, it, it's it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, so chiastic structure. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, there's, there isn't... The one thing we found digging into these um, Holy Week texts, texts in more detail is that there isn't always a lot of like scripture to, to delve into, right? They're, they're fairly short readings. They're rich and they're deep, but they're short readings and... Because this is, these events are taking place, if you want to include Monday, Thursday, um, you know, we're talking about two days. So right. we're really preaching like for four or five weeks on two days worth of tech, two, two days worth of materials. Right. So we're really looking at like, you know, a, a couple hours at a time. So it's, it's, it's challenging. It's, and, we, and we eliminated one. Yeah, yeah. Because we eliminated basically right. the... Um, uh, the, the Passover meal kind yep. of thing, or day, I guess in John's gospel, the day of preparation meal, yep. um, the last supper, yep. so to speak, because it involves the foot washing and we're like, oh, we wanted to do that on Monday, Thursday. So right. there we go. So I'm like, okay, so what do I work with? Chi- okay, chiastic structure. So maybe there's something to this. And I'm like, okay, well, how can, how can, and I also wanted to kind of, you know, pardon the cooking, you know, turn down the temperature a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because past I, couple of weeks have been, I, I feel like, I feel like the last couple of weeks have been, you know, scorching and it's like, if I, the thing you don't want, you don't want to burn people out, right. right? Like you get to a point where you just can't hear a message because you get burnt out. So it's like, how can we, how can I present this in a way that is, that is 
faithful to the text and bring a little bit of levity, um, help the, the cheese industry a bit. Um, and the bacon industry. Yeah, which the, the bacon. We're, we're, we're not even going to go with why you were using ham and bacon um, when we're talking about a Jewish. <laughs> yep. Which was which was pointed out, but you know, I know that you have my back one hundred percent on this one. There is never a reason to put a tomato in the middle of that sandwich. As, oh, no. As, as some people no. suggested, oh, you throw a tomato in there. Uh, no. 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 The only no, place no, you throw no, a tomato no. is in the garbage. Exactly. Or, or into or a on sauce. The, or on the garden for, yeah. Or, or in a blender. Yeah, in a blender yeah. sauce, I'm okay. Yeah, you but can no, throw it you, in the blender, make a Bloody Mary. Yeah, um, make it salsa, I'm good. Yeah. But to throw just, just slice, to a, slice tomato, a tomato, no way. No. Yeah, no, no, no. We don't we don't do tomatoes around here except for Brittany, and she's just weird. Yeah, and that's why so, she's not on the podcast. Yeah, when when Jen used to be here, our, our former um, youth director, she was also a no tomato person. So, but we she was also a no bacon person. So, well, like, that yeah, she had her own like, weird. stuff. Sorry, but. you lose. <laughs> um, it is it is. Which if she's listening, we love you, Jen. Um, um, <laughs> just not your lack of bacon. Um, it, so I, I did get several text messages. Your sermon was so inspiring. I ate a grilled, cheese, a, grilled, a grilled cheese sandwich or a version of a grilled cheese sandwich for lunch. I'm like, that's what we shoot for. We at Emmanuel Lutheran Church are looking to change your diet and make it less healthy. healthy yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, awesome. This is what we inspire people to do. So However, we can give a gazillion ga- gazillion sermons, and it's oh, I was inspired to make a grilled cheese. I finally cheese did it. I reached people. I changed <laughs> their behavior. <laughs> They're making grilled cheese for lunch. <laughs> yes, hallelujah, praise Jesus. <laughs> uh, although I had someone say, you know what's really good, and I'm always up for food tips. You take kielbasa and you slice it you know, long ways, nice and thin, and put that on a grilled cheese. I'm like, ooh, that smoky kielbasa. Uh, you could sell me on that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, you could sell me on that one. Did anybody say smoked Gouda? Yes. Okay. Yes. When you were Which, asking what, what flavor yeah. of cheese? I don't think we missed the cheese. Yeah. I mean, like... We got Havarti and... And, yeah. and, and we got um, Gouda, we got Swiss, we got cheddar, we got American... Um, Oh, we got another provolone. Yep, that's my wife. Yep. Um, and there was another strange cheese. Munster. That, that's what it was. Someone yeah. said Mun. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> hey, I, it's cheese. Whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I did find the the chiastic structure interesting, not just as a way to you know help people decide what they were eating for lunch. Um, but I, you know, the whole idea of the chiastic structure is it, it's to kind of focus, right? Right. Like to draw your attention. So by that, with that rationale, you know, the attention was real, was, is on you know, Jesus being beaten and mocked, which I, for me, that's it's certainly not the climax. Oh, no. Definitely not the climax. That's, but, the, that's the building up to. Right. But it seems like the focal point of that, of that text was like them handing him over and deciding that he needed to die, not that he was beaten and mocked. Right. But that's not what the, that's not what the sandwich says. Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing, of course, is that, you know, he gets beaten and mocked in, in two separate places. Again, it's part of that 
right. um, because the the high priest has him beaten, um, and then he gets beaten again when Pilate deals with him, right? Um, and sends him off to be crucified. It's like beat him, then crucify him. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, these, these chiastic structures aside, um, I think you ask a very poignant question in terms of how do we mock Jesus? And I know, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things, it's really interesting the things people get caught up on and what they think um, constitutes mocking God or mocking Jesus. And, you know... So, using the Lord's name in vain. Right, which... It, which verbally so... You know, saying it like in a cursing type setting. Meh. Should we do it? No. But is that real? Is is that the crux of? Well, that? I mean, this gets back to what is that, that command actually about? Right, right. Which usually is not about just your offhand. I stubbed my toe and I I used the Lord's name in vain kind right. of thing. Um, it, it, it's usually when you are misrepresenting God in some way. Is it better if you stub your toe and just drop a different four-letter word? I hope so, because that's normally what I do. Me too. Yeah. And I can say, I didn't use the Lord's name in vain. <laughs> um, we used what, what, what we call a profanity, um, which simply guess, comes from the word profane. And what does the word profane mean? The word profane simply means ordinary. I, I think that's what people don't get is like it's all of our quote profanity is based on ordinary functions. All your four letter fun words are things that are ordinary things that people just do. That's why it's considered quote profane, profanity, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I, I always have fun when I used to teach that in um, the difference between the sacred and the profane. So, so that. I'm trying to tease this out okay. <laughs> from, from a... But, I, I mean, it, but, but back to the, the, the question of the mocking. Okay. Let's, let's, let's skip the profanity. We don't want to talk about four-letter words. We won't talk about four-letter words anymore. Man. But let's, let's talk about the mocking of, of... I've heard so often, especially when you get on social media or something, and people get into arguments, and it'll be, God will not be mocked um, because they think you're doing something that is against God's word in some way. Right. Um, and, and accuse you then of mocking God. And I, I don't know for me that when you are faithfully, well, even then, it's, 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 it's a hard question. What does, what does the mocking of God look like outside the realm of beating and and right. and telling him to prophesy and, and laughing and and whatever you're not taking it seriously right um, and, and I guess maybe that's part of the question is you know how seriously do we take Jesus it's so, maybe the better question so so here so so I think so that that's interesting so I think we I'm using air quotes. I think we take Jesus very seriously. But I don't think that us, air quote, taking Jesus very seriously means living like 
Jesus wants us to live as, air quote, seriously, right? Because so if, 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 so maybe you know this answer. How many Christians are there in this country? Oh, well, um, I, I can't give you a number. I can give you a percentage. Okay. We're, we're at about 65%. Okay, 65. Over so half. Over half, and 65 is well can, over half. You, yeah, you can, you so, can do the so math well over half, million. Well over the half, well, well over half of the country identifies themselves as Christian, right? Yes. So I think the way our world, our society, in every, every facet of society, the way we engage is mocking Jesus, because the world and society does not operate under the principles that Christ calls us to. Right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Care for the immigrant. Don't take advantage of the poor. Clothe the needy. Feed the hungry. Yeah, bam, boom, boom. What? Again, don't know this stat. I could probably look it up. Homelessness. What's the homelessness rate in this country? If it's above 0.001%, guess what? We ain't living it. Yeah. You know, food insecure, we, we got plenty of food, we got plenty of space to house people, we choose not to. That's mocking Jesus, right? Like, yeah. that, like that, that's mocking. Now again, is it, well, we didn't beat Jesus, we didn't put, okay. But... Yeah, the, the, the problem with trying to figure out how many homeless people are is yeah. like a lot of times you don't you, you've got to figure out how to how to find them first of all right homeless is, but, is difficult but, to calculate. But there's an e there's an estimated probably almost six hundred thousand people right that are homeless right okay six hundred thousand people that are homeless guess what we're mocking Jesus we have in in our in our county in Martin County a pretty affluent county. There are, and I don't know the, I don't know the latest number. I'm going to lowball it. Over 400, and I know that's a lowball number. Over 400 kids, not adults, 400 kids in Martin County School District identify as homeless. In Martin County, oh, hello, mocking Jesus. There's no other way to put it. There's no, there's no reason that someone should be homeless in this country. There's just not. Right. And Short of I choose to be, meaning, you know what? I'm going to live off the grid, and I'm going to camp, or whatever. So be it. That's, I, I mean, in my mind, that, that's, that's mocking and beating Jesus. Well, and, and when you think about, so part of why he was being crucified was the claim that he was a king. Yep. Now, of course, as Christians, we, we make a particular claim in terms of he is king over our lives, blah, blah, blah. Yep. So, so that so, becomes the, 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 the sort of, okay, so what does it mean for him to be king over our lives? Yep. And how do we mock that? <laughs> so, so let's tease that out, right? Because uh -huh. we were like, bam, same wavelength. Like, okay, so what is the rule, or the, I'm sorry, what is the role of the king? Yeah. 
The role of the king is to care for your people. Make sure that everybody's taken care of. Yep. It, so that's the that's the preferred role, maybe not the played But that's out role. what the function is supposed to be. Correct. And, and it's part of why the Israelites wanted a king was because they say, hey, this judge system isn't working so well. This isn't justice. We want justice. We think a king will give us better justice. Yep. So you have a king, and a king puts things in place, laws and rules and order, and everything in place, so that, and again, in a perfect world, that everything and everyone is cared for. Right, and, and that it's, it's kind of funny because in Deuteronomy, um, you I, know... I always wanted to name a dog Deuteronomy. Well, then, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can get a pet. And, I don't want another pet. <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that in Deuteronomy, they were already, you know, predicting, you are going to be like other, country, or other nations, even though this isn't how I want you to be, but I know you're going to do it. And eventually, um, when you decide that you want a king, this is how your king should behave. Um, it says, when, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you. One from among your brothers sh shall set as a king over you, um, but he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return in Egypt to require many horses. Never return to that way again. Um, not acquire a lot of, lie, uh, of wives, lest his heart turn away. When he sits on the throne, um, he shall uh, keep all the laws and all the statutes. He may not sort of, um, turn aside from the commandments, um, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's this whole, he, you know, he's not supposed, like when you say he's not supposed to get many horses, what do you use horses for? To race. <laughs> or. Or. War. War. Yeah. Yep. So there's this, don't get a bunch of horses. <laughs> don't go back to Egypt and get a bunch of horses. It, it, it's, it's real interesting that that was God's vision of a king was, you know, don't get a bunch of horses. Right. Um, because number one, it's a sign of wealth and prosperity, et cetera, that he was not supposed to have and B, was not supposed to um, uh, have enough horses that, that he could be waging those kinds of wars. Yep. Um, so, very strange. Um, so, I just saw... And, and the not having many wives, maybe that's not quite the issue we have today other than, you know... They maybe people in those positions tend to have uh, a lot of mistresses. Um, <laughs> They're not wives. They're not wives. Uh, um, but I found the loophole. But kind of the point is, is that the kings of Judah and Israel did the exact opposite of all of that. Right. I mean, even David. How yep. many wives did David have? Solomon. How many? You know, seven hundred wives. Um, this is this, you know, kind of thing going on in terms of God said this is how your king is supposed to be 
and the kings that came to power were not like that. Nope. Not even the good ones, so to speak. Because we, we've had this conversation. We normally think of David and Solomon as, quote, the good kings. And yet they, they were just as problematic in a lot of ways as any other king that's in that position because they all abuse power. Right. And I think that becomes sort of the difference between Jesus and earthly kings, kind of going back to the whole worldly kingdom versus um, earthly kingdom thing, is that you're, you, Jesus is not an abusive king. He's a servant king. Yep. And the king is supposed to be a servant to, well, to the point of, in this case, um, death, you know, that he lays his life down for his people. Yeah. So, and again, so even, so fast forward to this country, our political leaders are supposed to be servants. Mm-hmm. Supposed to be. I'm going to keep my mouth shut because <laughs> this is only going to get me in trouble. I'm not. <laughs> so. I, I'm kidding. I'm just, it's I like, know. this is, this I, is. I get, and, but again, here, here's, again, here's where we have the problem. Yes. You know, so let's just say our politicians today acquire a lot of horses. Yeah. And it doesn't matter which <laughs> side of the aisle you're on. No, no. It, again, I've, I've said this before. No one leaves Washington poor. No. No, no one walks out of, of, of having served in our government um, financially worse off than when they went in. They leave with more horses than they rode in on. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah. And, and even, the, even the ones that I think have the best of intentions and start from very humble beginnings... I think when that money starts pouring in from all the different little special interest groups and things like that, I think when that money starts pouring in. So I'm anxious to see, like, so, so there, I, I know that there's a, the, one of the guys from Georgia, Raphael Warnock, was a pastor, mm -hmm. now in office. What happens? It's, too, it's, it's early, don't know. What happens? I had one of my seminary professors um, ran, did not win. And, I, and I'm always curious, especially, and actually one of my seminary classmates, um, former, former, worked in the Pentagon, uh, went to seminary, and then ran for office in Pennsylvania, I don't know, recently. And I always wondered, you know, someone who I know well, what happens? How hard is it to push back against that the, the the financial systems that play into politics? How hard is it to push back against them? Yeah. I mean, and and, and I, I I will be I will be perfectly honest. Like, I imagine it's really hard. Well, I imagine it's not um, any. The, I, I mean, I imagine it's extremely hard, but I also think of it as I don't think that even just your political system is problematic in that way. Um, the church system is problematic in that way. Ooh, say more. So, you, hold on, hold on. I thought you didn't want to get in trouble. 
I know. I'm going to get controversial. Okay. And, and that's what... <laughs> and, and that's the problem. If, as the pastors, we start saying stuff that's controversial, what happens? I'm taking my checkbook and I'm going home. Right. Not always, but... But, but that is the, the way a lot of people there are many a choose churches, to walk. Yeah, there is, are many a churches that wield their checkbook. I, I don't like what you're saying, therefore yeah. I'm no longer going to give my money to support it. And that's one of the ways in which people right. um, voice their opinion, so to speak, yep. is with their checkbook. And the church functions that way too from the standpoint of... Um, like, so, so a politician's looking at it as the only way I'm going to get elected is if I have the money to get elected. Yep. The only way I can get the money to get elected is if I'm nice to these big donors who are going to give me the money to make sure I can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. If I do something that makes them mad, away goes the money and away goes my ability then to actually do the things I'm trying to do. And unfortunately, the church works in much the same way. Yep. The pastor is beholden to whether or not they're going to get paid <laughs> and have a job. And, and what they say, and this is the problem with a prophet, is a prophet, being a preacher kind of thing, whenever you speak prophetically, um, a prophet is simply, um, the word in Greek, prophesio, simply means to, to speak the word of God, yep. to, to preach the word of God. And sometimes that word of God is harsh. Sometimes that word of God is, is comforting. Um, but, but it runs the gamut. And unfortunately, if there's something that hits you just wrong, you feel convicted or you just flat out disagree with it, um, then that is why you find a lot of pastors who are very reluctant to speak what I call the hard word of God. So our, our synod, the Florida Bahama Synod, has a racial justice task force called the Just Love Team. Just Love. Um, of, which I'm, of which I'm a part of. One of my... What I'm pushing to challenge our synod in terms of racial justice. And you can imagine, when I say this, you can imagine how far it goes, um, which is to say it's probably not going to go anywhere. Um, you know, what, what resources are available um, to support clergy who are faithful to Scripture, faithful to, sp to speaking and interpreting scripture in light of the current world and our current realities that then are either run from their congregations um, or congregations um, who are financially impacted because a pastor preaches the gospel in ways that are, in, in ways where people are offended. Not, not, Yo, Mr. Smith, blah, 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 but challenge, you know, where we challenge systems of inequality and systems of racism and, and, and all, of those, all of those things. Um, and the, the answer is, well, there isn't one. Um, and so, you know, that's, you know, we, ha we have, so we have a number of pastors, and, and for my money, too many, 
in our synod that don't think it's appropriate to speak out against things like racism, for instance. Um, the synod did a survey, I don't know, maybe two years ago now, a year and a half, I don't even know, time all runs together. And part of that survey, there were, there were several clergy who, I don't know why the synod is putting together a task force to deal with racism. We're a 98% white church. I'm like, well, uh, <laughs> that's why <laughs> we're putting a committee together because we're a 98% white church, hello. Um, but for those pastors who don't speak out because of um, fear, fear not of their life, but fear of their livelihood right, yeah. um, being fear. taken from them, there is no safety net. Nope, there simply it. isn't. You are literally stepping out. It's, it's stepping out in faith and saying, listen, I feel that this is, this is true to Scripture. This is a faithful sermon. Um, yes, it's going to ruffle some feathers, um, but it is faithful, and I feel that it is something that I need to preach, that the congregation needs to hear. The backlash comes. When people don't want to hear it. Six months later, you're gone, and after that six months, you're out of a job, yeah. and now your livelihood's in danger, and what do you do? And there is no safety net. So it's, so it's really it's challenging you know, to be in that position, um, and this, this isn't a boo-hoo. Um, no, it's is, just highlighting the reality. Just, right, highlighting it's, it's, the reality. It's highlighting the reality. Of the, 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 the financial, the, the power of money in our society. Exactly. Um, and the power that money holds over us as society that, you know, you're often, you're put in those positions. And I imagine in, in Washington, it's the same thing. And, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I get it. Now, here, now here's the thing. Which is, which is why I wanted to kind of draw the parallel to, to right. say it's not all evil politicians, right. blah, blah, blah. It's so, so this, the, this, these are the realities in which many of us have to operate. So then the question becomes, the struggle becomes for many, do, do you compromise your values? So it's one thing for, let's say, and again, I am not, this is the, probably the, this is just the first example that came to my head. Raphael Warnock is an African-American pastor who serves in Congress. If the NAACP comes to him and says, I need you to support this legislation, and supporting this legislation, we will fund your campaign, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, fine. He hasn't compromised his values. It's something he was going to support anyway. He gets money from that. As opposed to, again, extreme example, a white supremacist organization coming in <laughs> and saying, if you vote against this, we'll give you X number of dollars, and then yada, 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 yada. Right. Th now, you've, now there's a, a compromising in values. So same thing in, in the pulpit. Okay, you know, Pastor Chad, if you ever preach another sermon and say X, I'm leaving and I'm taking my money from the church. Well, three months later, a text comes up that zeroes in on that exact thing, and I go, huh, well, I can't preach that. I'm going to preach the opposite because I don't want to offend 
the Mr. money person. Mr. and Mrs. blah, blah, blah. Right. And for me, so for me, it's like, okay, so I, you know, I, I don't like to make people mad. It happens from time to time. I don't like to make people mad, but it's like, okay, so I can either have Mr. and Mrs. blah, blah, blah mad, or I can have God mad because I didn't live into my, to, into my ordination vows. Huh. Blah, 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 or God? Blah, blah, blah. Hmm. hmm. Let's go with God. And, 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 <laughs> I, and I will often, when I delve into those waters, when I knowingly delve into those waters, there's been sometimes when I'm like, oh, man, that, I didn't, huh, I didn't think that would make you mad. Um, there are oftentimes when I delve into those waters, well, I will pause, and oftentimes I will go back and I will read my ordination vows, or I will read... Um, the baptismal, the Lutheran baptismal ceremony, and go. Okay, this is this is not only what I'm called to do as a baptized child of God; it's also what I am called to do as a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ. I guess I'm wading in these waters, and I say lots of prayers and hope for the best. Because, yeah. but it is it's hard now. You know, this text, man, Pilate, you know, I, it's, it's, it's really interesting. The other piece of this text that was, that was challenging, I didn't delve into these waters, was how much sarcasm and snark Pilate was using in the text and how much of it was sincere, right? So some of these interactions, and again, it's one of my frustrations that we don't have, a, don't have you know, um, a screenplay where it tells you, you know, what the demeanor and the emotions were of the text. Because it's possible that some of these portions, you know, where we, you can interpret and go, oh, well, Pilate was, Pilate was really being sincere. He w- or was he being really sarcastic? Right. And we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Much harder to tell. It, it, it is. Um, Pilate's character, I mean... What, what John, John really spends a lot more time with Pilate, I think, than the other Gospels do. Yeah. Um, where you get this kind of interplay, uh, the what is truth and, and all that, which was le- the, the week before. Um, you well, know, where, tr- where, so where's tr- your kingdom? Where are you from? What's your, you know, um, uh, some, you know, those kinds of things going on where it's hard to tell. Um, You know, when I was doing my preparation the week before where that what is truth question, you know, it's like, how does he say that? Because we don't have the inflection and and all that kind of stuff, is it it in a, you know, what's truth kind of thing? Was it more of a, yeah, well... What is truth? Or was it a genuine question? What yeah. is truth? Yeah. You know, um, because, you know, we kind of make our own, our own truths at times. Especially <laughs> uh, now. So to speak. Um, where That we, didn't happen. It's literally on film. <laughs> But even there, we, we've been, you know, we've learned some lessons where sometimes when it's on film, 
Um, you're only seeing still part of it. You don't necessarily yeah. see what's going on off camera that is eliciting a particular response or sure. something along those lines. Sure. Um, so yeah, we have those you know those those questions of of okay, what is what is truth? What you know, Jesus says, I am the truth, and well, okay, because um, Pilate had a particular set of truths that he lived by, um, which is why I usually interpret him just kind of doing sort of a muttered, what is truth? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like. Well, let me tell you my reality, bud. Right. This is my reality. This is how my world operates. This is my truth. Well, what, and one of, the, one of the challenges in our society is listening. To, we don't listen to people anymore. And if, some, if someone has experienced something, that's their truth. And I can't. Well, that, that's not how it is. Oh, so you know what it's like to be me? Um, and we ha we, you know, there is, there's a little bit of that going on in the world, too, where... You know, we have people who you know, will completely dismiss it, dis, be dismissive of someone's reality. It's like, no, like that's, that happened. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's a real thing. Like you don't get to decide that that's not. Yeah. That that's, that, not. That that's not real. That that's not a, that's not a thing. That's yeah. not. Um, and, and that becomes, you know, a lot of times problem, problematic from the experiential side of things of where, well, this is not how I experienced. Yep. X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I think, where a lot of things do get muddled, where it's like, well, this has been my experience, and my experience definitely says that, you know, this is not how this works. Right. And I think that's part of our problem with Jesus' teachings in general, mm. is there's what Jesus teaches... And then there's how the world works. Yes. And the two don't always the, mesh. They collide like a colossal train wreck. Yeah. Because it's like, well, that's all well and good, but we don't live in that world. But in the real world, as if Jesus didn't live in the real world. Yeah. In but, the real world. Yeah. It, and, and in the real world, guess what happened to Jesus? Yep. <laughs> I mean, um, there's, that, <laughs> there's that reality and that truth, too is that that sometimes is the consequence yeah. and, and the reality of living into the things that Jesus teaches is that it's not always going to make you comfy and safe. Right. Um, and that's not the easiest thing in the world to get behind. It's a part of why, like I said, you know, I kind of brought this up in last week's, but when, you know, early Christians wanted to finally be done with being persecuted, it was like, okay, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're tired of this. This, this. this is not a way to live. Right. And so when the empire comes along and says, hey... We're, we're going to adopt your, your religion. You're no longer going to be persecuted. The trade-off is we're still going to operate the way an empire operates. We're just going to now use your name. 
Um, but we're going to do a whole bunch of things now that are completely opposite of what you have been professing for so long. Yeah. So it was basically co-opting the name and not the practices. Yeah. And then having to jump through all kinds of weird hoops to come up with, well, how, how, how can we... How can we say it's okay to go invade this country? You know, how can we say it's okay to go, um, you know, do these rather violent things when we know that that may and and you know, if you look at the history of Christianity, you have things like the Inquisition, um, just some horribly, very you know, crusades, etc., that persecuted others. So yep. basically, it becomes that what was once done to us, we turn around and do to others. Yeah. And that's kind of a no-no. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if, if, if your Christian solution involves violence, you, I think the gospel flew right over your head. You missed it. Yeah. You missed it. And... That's why we should it's, all it's just... But, you know, but again, it's hard because we live in a violent world. We live in a world where... And, and I understand... Am the, I just and, supposed and, and, to And let... I absolutely understand the argument of, well, what am I supposed to do when somebody comes, and I mean, they're just... They're, they're, they're coming to kill me and kill my family. What do am I, I just... supposed to do when someone stands on stage and mocks my wife? Oh... <laughs> I, I, I mean, they're perfect. I, I mean, again, it's a complex situation. Complex situation that um, also, I think, the voices of black communities need to wrestle with in terms of, of where they're coming from as opposed to white people telling them how they should behave yep. and what they should do. Um, and, and that's for me where the complexity comes in yep. is I can sit here as a white person and say, hey, violence is never the answer. And yet these are people who have been subjected to violence for very, for hundreds of years by white people. And then we turn around and tell them violence isn't the answer. I, here's the other reality though. Even as a white person, I can sit here and say violence isn't the answer. And in that situation, I don't know, you don't know how you're going to react. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I know what Jesus would call me to do. Right. I don't know that. I, again, I, again, it, it, it's, that's why we should all just like eat grilled bacon or grilled ham and cheese sandwiches and <laughs> just love each other. Hey, the world would be a happier, more loving place with a grilled ham and cheese or grilled bacon and cheese sandwich in your hand. You can't hit somebody then. You, well, you could throw the, you could throw it at them. Nobody's throwing a sandwich <laughs> at someone. <laughs> well, you clearly never were part of my family. <laughs> that, the nest sandwich. Food had, fight. The nest sandwich had tomato in it. My cousins and I, when we were out at my grandfather's, we did we'd eat outside, and there, there was a food fight that ensued. Yeah. Um. Now, granted, I don't know that I was crazy about the food at the time, which is probably why Joey I Joey doesn't throw I think it involved food. peas, and I was happy to throw peas. <laughs> Joey doesn't throw food. <laughs> mm. 
That's a Friends reference. Friends reference. Joey doesn't share food. <laughs> Joey doesn't share food. <laughs> if you haven't watched Friends, I mean, come on, seriously, people. Watch Friends. Um, Google it. We're not like Seinfeld recently. Yes. Friends. Um, Next week's text gets much lighter. Nope. You're funny. I can't even say it with a straight face. You're funny. Next week's text is, is um, don't call him king of the Jews. <laughs> call him the, the um, guy who claimed he was king of the Jews. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're not going to talk about that because it's such a short text. We have to save something for next week. <laughs> That's right. Yep. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, but getting back to that question of how we mock Jesus or mock God and all the ways in which we, again, we, we aren't, I think, taking seriously or paying heed to so many of the things that were important to Jesus in his ministry and what made him so dangerous yeah. and what made him dangerous to the people in power in particular. Yep. And, and again, a part of that was just he was... He, he, he threatens the socioeconomic structures that we, that we live in. And, you know, good old Mary's song there about tearing the powerful down from their thrones. I mean, that's... And that's right at the beginning. Like, that should have been your first clue. <laughs> Mommy starts singing it. You're in trouble. Yeah. Well, Mommy starts getting all revolutionary before you're ever born. Yeah. Look um, out. Yeah. But these are... <sighs> Just keep wrestling. Like, yeah. that's, all, that's all we can ask. Like, yes, it's... And, oh, and we, by the way, we wrestle too. You oh. have no idea how many times, like, I will text Pastor Chad and go, I do not want to preach this. Yep. And, and, and I'll be like, this, uh, no. <laughs> like, this is not okay. This is, this is not where, you know, I'm, I'm like, how am I supposed to talk about this? Because... And I'm not just talking this, you know, these texts, but yeah. a, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of times throughout the year in general where we get texts that it's like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to get up and, and talk about this topic yep. and walk away in one piece, <laughs> They're hard walk away with a job still. The gospel's hard. Yeah, well... Um, Being Jesus was harder. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's a reality. Well, and when you think about it, though, at the same time, you know, it, it's hard in, in our world and in our realities. And at the same time, I think we have a harder time in the United States standing up for some of these things because of just losing the loss of comfort versus 
the threat of losing your life. Yeah. I mean, I hate to... Does that, does that make sense where it's like when it's, when it's a blatant in your face, we are persecuting you, it's sometimes a lot easier to stand up against that even though you know you may die versus sort of the societal just turn on you. Your life isn't in danger, but you kind of become ostracized by the you know by your own community right because they did because you're you're supposed to be part of what they are doing and when you start saying wait a minute this maybe isn't how this should function your life may not be threatened in terms of they're going to take you out and you know behead you or kill you or something like that but getting cast out as you're pushing against the grain, you're doing something different, you're, you know, you're saying things they don't want to hear. It's, it's hard to continue to live into that. Does, that. does that make sense? Yep. That sometimes those pressures can be harder than the in-your-face, oh, this is definitely, you know. Well, we can put blinders on. Yeah. I mean, that's really, we're really good at putting blinders on. Oh well, I don't. It's it's not directly in my face. It's not. It's not in my world. I don't directly in my world. I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. So. Well, I think that's about all I have for this week. Me too, because anything else is just going to get me in more trouble, and I'm just going to eat some. <laughs> go eat something. Yeah. So um, next week is a short text again, and shockingly has to do with Jesus's crucifixion. <laughs> <laughs> Tis the season. And, and like I said, it's the, the, the pilot um, actually putting the sign up over him, um, calling him king of the Jews. And I have written what I have written. Yay. So let it be written. So let it be done. I will never forget you, Brenner. Anyway. Good stuff. Well, we'll talk at you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.